0: our scripture reading this morning we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators, Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. The verse that we consider is our text this morning. is verse 5. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we may rightly ask ourselves what happened this morning when the form was read and what has been happening by the consistory and his discipline of that individual that led to the reading of that form. What's been going on with regard to that work of discipline, but especially now what happened this morning? Was it that just the form was read? That those were mere words. And the answer of the text is, no, something more significant was done. The words of the text is, we delivered one over to Satan. That's what happened this morning. That's what the Apostle is talking about in this chapter. The whole chapter is about the church carrying out the final remedy, the last part of discipline with regard to an obstinate member. And the apostle calls on them to put him out, to judge and put him away. That's what he's referring to in verse 13. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And so that's the reference in our verse to delivering one unto Satan. That certainly raises some questions, does it not? Raises some questions about whether that's the right thing to do. Is that really what we ought to do with a lost sheep? Aren't we supposed to go seek and find the lost sheep? Aren't we supposed to heal the wounds of the brokenhearted? Aren't we supposed to go out and evangelize and call into the church? In fact, is not this really the last thing that we ought to do? And by last thing, we mean not really ever do? And perhaps that goes along with Even the reality that perhaps for most of you, you have never heard that form read before. That indicates, of course, that what was done is extreme. But we would be mistaken if it's in our mind that this is something we ought not ever do. Or that it's only ever done in really special, special, special circumstances. we do ask these questions. Did not the form say that such and one is held captive by the bonds of the devil? Why then would we turn such an one over to the devil? Do we not want him to be freed from those bonds? Did not the form say how subtle Satan is to bring a man to destruction? Did not the form say that in his subtlety he does that by withdrawing someone from all salutary, that is, beneficial, means of salvation? So are not we helping Satan now? Are we not assisting him since we have barred him from all salutary means of salvation? Have we not now barred him from the very means of grace that is needed for His recovery? Are we not barring Him from the salutatory means of salvation, namely in our own admonitions, in our own counseling? Have we not now deprived Him of the very blessings of salvation that is required? Those are very good questions. But the answer to them is not to ignore what Jesus Christ tells us to do in His Word. The Lord calls us to take such in one and deliver him over to Satan. And we're going to consider that this morning. Delivering one unto Satan. We look at the action, the object, and then the purpose. What we have done, and what the church does, is both misunderstood and understood, but misunderstood and understood in a way that the church often neglects this very duty. It's a fact that in the church and the church that is often sick, sick with the leaven of sin and sinfulness in its midst, that the reason for that is not strong elders or elders who are afraid to discipline. The reason for that is usually because no one wants to go admonish anyone the way of Matthew 18. Excommunication Assumes that. And perhaps if we understood the situation, we would do that more often. You see, it's hard to go talk to someone and admonish them. Admonishment, you see, is the hard part of discipline. It's really the heart of discipline, admonishment. And admonishment isn't to see how they're doing and offer them some advice. It's, it's not even really to give counsel and say you need help, and this is the kind of help you can get, and I'm here to help. Admonishment always in the first place is to say, brother or sister, what you're doing is vile and wicked and sinful, and we can't tolerate that. Our Lord Jesus Christ condemns that. Your behavior is sinful and it's evil, it's devilish, it's wicked. And you see, that's the hard part. That's the part we never want to do. Even when we think we're going the way of Matthew 18, that's the part we don't want to do. And when we don't want to do that, the sinner, the unrepentant sinner, will talk to us all day long and listen to us. May resent a little bit the taking of their time, but nothing's going to happen. And if you ask why we fail to do that, or... Why we fail to bring that hard word or even go even altogether, the reason is because we really don't know and understand what's going on. That individual is in the bonds of Satan. When the apostle talks about delivering one over to Satan, he's not referring about doing that in such a way where this person has no connection to Satan whatsoever. But the fact is that when an individual is living in sin such that we are required to go talk to them, it's obvious to us, it's obvious to others, then they are already in the clutches of Satan. They are already in bondage. And if they're in bondage to Satan, then they're not free in Christ. You can't be one or the other. It's one or the other. You can't be both. And if we really understood that, then we would carry out discipline more faithfully. So if you see troubles in the church, don't wring your hands and don't call up the elders right away. Understand what's going on and go deal with it the way of Matthew 18. That's one thing we can learn this morning, brothers and sisters. Do your job because delivering one over to Satan is the work of the church. And if we don't want a form read, then the solution to that is not don't do anything, because that will not lead to results. and often leads right to this, this do your duty and admonish when, as the form puts it, the sins as they were are small. When they're slight, before someone's heart is so hardened that they won't listen to anyone. But then on the other hand, on the other hand, it sometimes happened where there are conscientious Christians who are abhorred over sin, who don't just wring their hands and say, can you can you imagine that's what this person is doing and that's how they're living? Or even worse, says to herself, Well, that's the, that's the way it ought to be. You know, it's the way it is. We should expect there to be people who live in the sin of alcohol and drugs, giving themselves over to pleasure and fornication and idolatry of all kinds. It's just to be expected. But you do have sometimes those people that do go the way of Matthew 18 and admonish and they follow the steps. And what's interesting is the steps there are... there's not very many. Not very many. The Lord doesn't tell us how long to take between each step, but there's not really many. But then it happens that they finally have to go to the church. They turn it over to the church and they say, this is a person that's been living in sin, and we admonish them. In fact, a number of us admonish them. And so the church takes over the case. And the church never bothers to put the person under discipline. They, they begin to work. They begin to counsel. They begin to give advice. And they see them and they meet them. You might even find out that quite a long time afterward, the person still isn't under discipline. Or if they're put under discipline... A discipline can take years and years and years and years. The steps seem long and tedious, and then we must ask ourselves in these instances, where either the church fails to carry out the way of Matthew 18, or when it's carried out and is turned over to the consistory and the consistory does what it does, do we really do we really believe do we really believe? that excommunication and really by implication then all the other forms of discipline are a remedy. A remedy. That's what underlies what the Apostle is saying here. What underlies the Word of God here in the Scripture isn't single out certain individuals guilty of certain gross sins and apply an extraordinary thing to them Something that's really left up to us to decide what to do, something that punishes them and makes them hurt. Well, that might be part of it. But what is done here is done to help and to save as a remedy. And the idea of that is not simply that this is the last thing you do when all else fails. But when it comes to dealing with the sinner, this is sort of the path that you are on. This is what you are doing. I said what the Apostle is referring to is excommunication. That's built into that word deliver unto. To deliver such a one unto. The word excommunicate means to communicate out of the church. You cut them out Of the church you take them and you expel them you communicate them out of the church and that's really the same idea here as deliver we may talk about taking delivery of a car that we purchased or we're going to go deliver a package to someone's house and we all know what that means and that's really the idea here to deliver has the idea of sort of a legal transaction, really. It's something that you do knowing full well what you're doing, and what you're doing is transferring ownership and responsibility of something to someone else. You took delivery of a vehicle because you went to the dealership and you paid them some money and you signed some documents that now make that car yours. And the dealership, which formerly owns the car, brings it to your house and now it's yours. And you may do with it whatever you want. Sometimes that word has very negative connotations. For example, it's used in Scripture for the idea of a judge who delivers the guilty over to the keeper of the prison so that he might then take that person and put them in prison. The Scriptures. Refer use that word to refer to those who bring others before the law. Jesus tells us that in the latter days, they are going to take you, that is, members of the church, are going to take you and deliver you over to the council, that is, the elders, so that you may be scourged. And He warns about the day in which there's going to be brothers Deliver their brothers and parents, who deliver their children, over to the state to be killed, persecuted. Scriptures refer use that word to refer to God taking the fallen angels, those that we call devils, and delivering them up to the chains of darkness, and there to be reserved unto judgment." In this particular case, it is the church that is doing the delivering and the recipient of that deliverance is Satan. It is the act of the church taking a member that is in its fold that belongs to them a member over which they take responsibility and they help and they aid, whom they comfort, whom they admonish, whom they even discipline, whom they feed and they help, a member that belongs to the church of Jesus Christ and they deliver that member now out of the church into the hands of Satan. And the idea of that delivery now is this individual is no longer our responsibility, does not belong to us, has no part with us, has no right to everything that goes on in the church, has no right to the preaching of the gospel or the means of grace. They have lost their right to the blessings of salvation. And indeed, that's what you're saying. You're saying this person now is deprived of every salutatory means of salvation that is found in the church. They no longer have the right to our company and our fellowship and our help. They now belong to Satan. Satan now has the right to do with them whatsoever he will. If you ask how that happens or why that happens, it has to do with really the great wonder that brings us into the church and what really happens when we're brought into the church. And the idea of how Scripture looks at the two great spheres in this world, in this universe. There is, first of all, the sphere of this world To it belongs everything that is substantial, everything that is physical. To it belongs the thing that the text calls flesh. It is the world that is carnal. It is the world that is under sin. It is the world that Scripture says is under the control and dominion of Satan. He is the prince of that world, that sphere. And then there's the sphere of the church. In the sphere of the church... Christ reigns and rules. He's king there. In the sphere of the world, Satan has the right to do with its members whatever he wants. And understand that Satan's rule is a cruel rule. It is not a rule of love. It is not a rule of care or concern. Some foolishly even think that way. They, they, They think that Satan can be a friend. That Satan is someone that's quite powerful, that can help them. That's the idea between Satanists. That's what drives them. And they're fools. They don't understand that there's not an, not an ounce or speck of love in Satan. Only hatred. Hatred of God and the neighbor. And those over whom he has the right to rule. Which... Is his right by virtue of depravity, by virtue of original sin, by virtue of the fall of man? Man forfeited his right to be governed and ruled by God as his friend, as his friend and Lord, and was delivered over to another Lord. That's really what happened in the fall. God delivered the whole human race over to Satan and said, Here, they're yours. You now do with them what you will. You now have dominion over them, and He rules over them with considerable power. What goes on in the world happens at the behest of Satan, at His command, at His demand. But none of it has anything to do with caring or love or concern for those whom He rules. He is the destroyer. He intends to take everyone down to hell with Him. To destroy them. To destroy their flesh. Satan understands the end of all things. Satan knows full well, even now, that God has the victory. That Christ reigns in heaven. He knows and can see every day that there are indeed fallen angels, reprobate angels, whom he controls, but he can't control all of them, and he's never gotten them. They're elect. They're pure, they're holy. He knows the end, which only adds to his fury, adds to the intensity with which he works. He knows he has but a short time. But what he does in the world is not love and care to help. Even when he makes someone fabulously rich and sets them up over kingdoms and nations as he will do with the Antichrist, it is for his own selfish ends and purpose. Purely, entirely. Give him a chance to destroy and he will destroy. Which is why, as we're going to see, when you deliver one over to Satan, it's for the destruction of the flesh. That's what he does in his realm. In the realm of the church is where the Spirit of Jesus Christ rules and it's a place that concerns the Spirit. In the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, is where we are taken out of the world and placed into the church. That's what happens at regeneration. We are taken from being dead and made alive. We are taken from this realm where Satan rules and has dominion to another realm where Christ rules and Satan no longer has dominion and power. And there Christ cares for us. He rules over us. He loves us. He turns everything to our good. Nothing is for our harm and our hurt. All is intended to bring us to our eternal home. It's a place of life, everlasting life and joy and blessedness. In the church is where every salutary means of blessing is found. And only there. And that's what happens to us. One of the reasons we don't quite understand a text like this is, and one of the reasons why perhaps this kind of thing happens in the church, is we really don't understand what our salvation consists of. We are literally torn out of a realm of darkness and fear of death, of sin. Of destruction and brought into a realm of light and joy and happiness. But then, but then there are times when the church is called upon to take a member who was in the sphere of the church, who was a member of the church, by confession, who has made confession of faith who claims to have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who claims to be saved by that Lord, who claims to have their sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb. They are not unbelievers. They are not heathen people, not publicans. They are members of the church. They are in that sphere. And the church is called to take that person and cast them out. To place them back in the sphere and realm of Satan. And it's as they were handing him a package. Saying, Here, we have transferred membership. Transferred membership from the church to you, to Satan. That's what happened this morning. Now, this is the work of the church. When the apostle talks about delivering such a one unto Satan, he's not talking about something he does himself. He's calling on the church at Corinth to do that, and to do that, of course, through its office bearers. Now, as I said, this refers to excommunication, but we should understand it does not begin with excommunication. It's a process. That's why we have a church order that lays out that process. And what we should understand is that really is what happens as soon as the church through its office bearers, takes a case by way of Matthew 18 or a case wherein there is public gross sin, something that's happened that's public and gross, so it's brought to the consistory. And the consistory then places that individual under discipline, which ordinarily should happen almost immediately when it comes by way of Matthew 18, or it comes as a public gross sin, we're going to get into this, it's because the person has been impenitent. But this is what the church does, and it really is what happened as soon as they're put under discipline. Remember, question and answer 85 of the Heidelberg Catechism it talks about those who have errors and a wicked course of life, are complained of brought to the church, or those thereunto appointed by the church, that is, the elders. And if they despise their admonitions, are by them forbidden the use of the sacraments whereby they are excluded from the Christian church and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. Notice how that's put. The way the Reformed look at it is not simply that excommunication now is when that happens. But that's essentially really what happens when someone is barred from the table of the Lord. You're saying to them, you have no right to this table. And since that table is the table of communion, it is the table that's found only in the church, it is a form of delivering someone over to Satan. So the idea is that all of discipline belongs to that. And that's really what is going on. This means that delivering one over to Satan is what you do and what I do. The elders just don't do that. But they do that as those whom we appointed to do that. We appoint them, and you should realize this, that this is often their work. When they're chosen office, one of the things we need to ask ourselves when we nominate and elect are, is this a man that will do discipline and do it rightly? Do it as it should be done? Is this a man who will do it as I believe it ought to be done? So it is the church that delivers one over to Satan. Now, the object of that discipline is such an one. Such in one. We must understand what that means, because that's not everyone in the church, obviously. It's not even every sinner in the church. It's a particular sinner in the church. Now, the apostle had in mind a particular individual, and this is a particular individual, who took his father's wife. He fornicated with his father's wife. Obviously, the father's second wife and not this man's own mother. We don't know if he was living in that sin or this was a one-time thing. We don't know. But it was known in the congregation. The congregation knew about it. The Apostle says, you know about it. I've heard about it. Everybody's heard about it. And he says, this is a gross sin. This is a sin that's so gross, so evil that it's not even named among the Gentiles. The Gentiles don't even do this. And you're puffed up. In other words, you you justify it. You excuse it. You you, you let this man just remain as a member. Such a one, that one, now. Deliver over to Satan. And when he says that, he's saying now follow the process. Through the elders, excommunicate that man. Now, such an one, is also described in the form for excommunication. And what we have to understand by such an one is someone who is obstinate, who is unrepentant, and therefore does not heed admonitions. You may take all of those and put them really together. If you want to know what it means to be not repentant, what that means is that you are obstinate in heart and you're obstinate in heart because you will not turn from your sin. There's no real sorrow for it. Such an one is not someone who cries. Who may cry about the harm and the hurt that's caused to them by what they've done. Perhaps their wife has divorced them because they've fornicated. or Perhaps they've lost their job or they've lost their bank account because they're drunken all the time. Perhaps they've lost their kids because they've abused them. And they may cry and they may mourn and sorrow, but the Bible calls that not the sorrow of repentance and the sorrow of godliness, but simply the sorrow that anybody can have when there's certain harm and hurt. What really characterizes the unrepentant, and this helps us understand what's going on, is they don't listen. They don't listen. Their hardness of heart, that's what brings it out. The fact that they're unrepentant, that's what brings it out. And you have to understand why we're doing what we're doing and why this is called the last remedy. You see, ordinarily, the way God corrects us, the way God disciplines us, the way God leads us and saves us is through hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So you see, the church is where God speaks to us. This is where God gives us His promises. This is where God justifies us. This is where God sanctifies us. This is where God admonishes us and warns us by The way, very importantly, implied by all this and the form itself is that's part of the preaching of the Gospel. The Gospel came to you this morning and said, use this moment as a moment of self-reflection. Look at yourself. You're not someone who has to be delivered from Satan or delivered into the hands of Satan, but you could very well be. The word of the Gospel comes to us. And spoke this morning and said, Guard then against the least beginnings of evil. That's not how we think. We think, well, you know, I can engage in just, it's just a couple of beers and I can just engage in a little dillying around with women. I can be angry, furiously angry now and then. I can say evil things to you. Every now and then, it's not a big deal. If I allow my eyes to wander over pornography, it's not a big deal. I mean, it is. I, I recognize it's sin, but do I turn? You see, God is speaking. God is speaking there in our heart to our conscience, and He's saying, that's wrong, that's wicked, that's sinful. And normally we hear that Word of God spoken in our own conscience, and we turn. But then there are individuals who don't. This is what we're being warned against. Guard against the least beginning of evil and laying aside, according to the exhortation of the apostle, every weight and the sin. Notice every weight. That is, those kind of things that burden us down and might lead us to sin. Even the things that we bring upon ourselves. Got to work, 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 because we have to pay all these mortgages and all these payments for our toys. Lay it aside. Let us run with patience the race. Be sober. Watch and pray. Remember at Hall began in the garden? Told his disciples, watch and pray. A few hours later, Peter's going to be denying Christ. Because he didn't bother to watch and pray. He even said to himself, that's conditional theology. But anyway, we don't watch and pray. Not a big deal. Well, what's going on? Well, we're not taking heed to the means that God uses. Remember, the devil is one who tries to take us away from the salutary means of salvation. Why is it that one is turned over to the devil? And the answer is because he deprives us of salutary means of salvation. But we can do this to ourselves. Absent ourselves from the preaching of the gospel. Say, well, it's really not all that important brother or sister comes to us and warns us of her sins and we don't listen to them. <clears throat> the point is that normally in the church, it's through the Word, through you speaking it, through myself speaking it officially as your preacher, or the elders preaching it or bringing it. And that's what God uses to sanctify us, to bring us to our knees, to humble us, to work repentance. But then there's some individuals that don't listen. Doesn't matter now what the reason is. Maybe it's related to their upbringing. Maybe they suffered some terrible trauma. Maybe they just are proud and they think, I can fix this. But whatever the reason, they don't listen. When the word comes, they bristle against it. There's something about them that says, okay, I hear that. That's quite understandable. They go right back to what they do. That's the such and one. And that's what marks the person to which you finally read the form. Every step along the way is marked by they don't listen. What they don't listen to is the warning to turn. Turn from your sin. It's wicked. It's sinful. It may not be tolerated. This is not how people of God live. It's not. The word that needs to be brought is, do you not understand? That no adulterer and fornicator, no idolater, no schismatic shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand that? But they never listen. They don't listen when you come to them the way of Matthew 18. They don't listen to the consistory when the consistory says, put away your sin. Oh, they may listen. They may sit there and listen. doesn't mean they start throwing things doesn't mean they start threatening you. They may actually hear what you had to say. They may express all sorts of remorse, but they don't repent. And it's evident they don't repent. Notice how in the form, that's where we started out. We're reading this form because there's no one who's come to us. No one that's come to the consistory and said, we see repentance. We see it. We're positive we see it. Repentance is at the heart. You really can't see repentance as such, but there's always the evidence of it, and the evidence of it always is, not tears, but a turning from the sin. Now, there's another thing that marks that person, which is their sins get increasingly worse. You see, that word deliver is not only used for excommunication with the church to someone else, but it's even referred to with God. God delivers them over to a reprobate mind. Paul uses it in Romans chapter 1. For what God does, the hardening process, the developing of sin process, out in the world where Satan lives, how it all works, how there's destruction, is that a man sins and he wants sin more and more and more. And God just delivers him over to it until the next thing you know that sin ruins and destroys him. Happens. Well, that same kind of thing can happen in the church. Because they don't heed. They go deeper and deeper. The addictions get worse and worse. The effects get more and more painful. Sometimes you even see that in one you deliver over to Satan. They're glad, finally, when they're excommunicated because they're sick of living the double life. They're sick of being admonished. They're tired of being called in. They want to be, as they think it, freed. But now what happens when you deliver them over to Satan is they will be destroyed. You see, the church delivers one over to Satan for a reason, and that is he destroys flesh. And the problem with the person who does not heed is that's the only thing that's left to turn them. They don't listen. The ordinary way doesn't work. You can talk and talk and counsel and counsel. They don't listen. And so finally, the church says, We're going to deliver you over to Satan. He knows how to handle this. He destroys the flesh. But why is this a good thing? Why is this what the church has to do? Why is this what's done? And notice, it's not simply to protect the church. That's a reason we excommunicate. So we might not be corrupted by this vile and filthy member, rotten. It's the term the form uses. Because that's a reality too. The name of God is blasphemed. That's a reality too. We have to stop that. If we understood that more, we would go the way of Matthew 18 more. God's name is blasphemed by your drunkenness. God's name is blasphemed by your idolatry. And all your pleasure seeking. You see, the flesh is the source of all our sin. And understand now, the text doesn't simply make a distinction between your body and your soul, but it's making a distinction between that which belongs to the kingdom of this world, including your fleshly soul, your fleshly heart, your fleshly mind, your fleshly will, your as long as also your fleshly body. And that's what Satan will destroy. You see now how that's a good thing? Or can be a good thing? It's not always a good thing. Satan is the bit in the business of destroying flesh, and for many that brings him right to hell. It can happen with the excommunicated person. In the end, their flesh is destroyed and there's nothing left. There never was anything. They were brought up in the church and there was no spirit. They weren't regenerated. There was nothing there. And you deliver them over to Satan and he has their way. And next thing you know, you see them living in sins that you couldn't even imagine. But even if that doesn't happen, eventually their flesh will be destroyed. They'll be brought to the grave, and that's it. Nothing is saved, nothing is delivered. But there is, you see, in the church, another possibility. There's still a possibility. And we understand this as a possibility when we truly understand what it took to bring us in the church. And that is God gives us a spirit, places his own spirit, puts his spirit in us, which is incorruptible, can't be killed, can't be denied. Now that spirit might not be reigning in us. It should be. But in certain individuals, we're so living according to the flesh, it's as it were, covered up, hidden. Read the Canons Head 5 once about that. But what's going on when we refuse to watch and pray? When We refuse to exercise our faith when we live in sin. Read what happens. This is what happens. And you see in such cases that Spirit no longer is fed and energized and strengthened by the Word because this person doesn't listen. You could talk and talk, and it's not going to get down to that spirit. It's not going to reach that spirit. But there is a possibility that when you deliver this one, such an one, over to Satan, and they do indeed have the spirit, that their flesh is destroyed, and that spirit, as it were, busts free. It breaks free, and they wake up, It's like the prodigal son. He was delivered over to the pigs. Thought he had everything, but he ends up eating the husk for the pigs. And he wakes up and says, what in the world have I done? The flesh is destroyed. Satan has his way. And the spirit, as it were, is saved. That's one thing that's meant by the day of Jesus Christ. And you understand this is only possible if you believe that your salvation is all of grace. You see, where salvation isn't all of grace, then discipline's a bad thing. It's a thing you never do. Only done in maybe very, very extreme measures because we're really sick of the person. We want to get rid of them. But not in the church where we understand we're saved by grace. Not when we understand that when God comes, He puts His seed of regeneration in us and it brings us out of darkness into light. It enlivens us. And it changes us drastically. And we so believe that that salvation is by the will of God and according to His will that we can deliver such an one over to Satan and say... We really don't have anything more to do with this person. Oh yes, we're going to admonish them as a brother. We're not going to count them as an enemy. But we're not going to fellowship with them either. That's what Paul's talking about in the latter part of that. Talking about fornicators in the church that were put out. Don't eat with them. Don't fellowship with them. They may be your friends. So that they may be ashamed. But it's exactly that that says, I can do that because I know that God can rescue someone from the clutches of Satan. How do I know that? Well, number one, did it to me, did it to you. But there's even more than that. You know what else in Scripture that word delivered is used? It's used to refer to Christ. In fact, it's used more with regard to Christ than it is with regard to us. Oh, it's used with us. God has delivered to us once the Holy Gospel and things like that. It's referred to by the word "betray." He was betrayed. That's the same word delivered. Jesus you see was delivered by a traitor into the hands of a mob and then the mob we read delivered him over into the hands of the Jews. The Sanhedrin who judged him as a council and excommunicated him. Declared him worthy of death and then he was delivered over to Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate we read delivered him over to the soldiers to be crucified and what happened? At the cross? The answer is God took his son, his only begotten son, and very really delivered him over to Satan and said, Here, he's not mine. Such are his sins and such are his iniquities that he bears. He bears the sins of all the members of the church in all of their lifetime, and he's been put out. He's been put out of my house. He's been put out of my communion. He's been put out of the church, as it were. Here, you have your way with him. And Satan did. Satan took him down to the pit of hell. But in that, you know the rest of the story. There was victory, wasn't there? Satan did everything he possibly could and could not destroy the Christ. The everlasting Son of God. Now that is our salvation. That's... The Jesus Christ who comes in His day. The Jesus Christ who comes not only in His Spirit when He regenerates us, but the one who comes for us in the day we die. That's the day of Jesus Christ too. Or the day when He returns. The child of God always believes that and understands that. That God is able to save according to His will and His decree on His own terms. And in his way, so that there comes a time, even in the church, where we have to say, We've done all we can do. We know God uses means, ordinarily means, these means, but now we're going to use this last means and see what God can do. Because don't forget, that's what especially shows his grace, the power of his grace, is it not? So remember, that's what was done this morning. The last remedy was administered. An extreme remedy, oh yes, delivered over to Satan. But our God is great, and our God has demonstrated how he can deliver one from the clutches of Satan. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word, Thy Word of truth, the Word which delivers us. We pray that Thou wilt save our brother Hib, whom we have admonished but has not heeded our admonishment, and who is obstinate. We know Thy grace is more powerful than Satan himself, for even though he rules this world, our Christ also rules over Him, and reigns over Him, and has shown how many, many times members of the church He takes out of Satan's grasp into His own bosom, so that we know that we may deliver one over to Satan, and our Lord Jesus Christ may still save him. That is our prayer, O Lord, for ourselves too, that Thou wilt save and redeem us by whatever means. In thy grace and favor, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.